welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 118 for November of 2022. I'm Pete. Your other hosts, Eric and Garrett, are with me as always. What you been up to, guys? Oh, hey, not a ton, but, you know, working on that Trail 70, which I showed you guys a picture of, and I put it on Facebook uh, for those that are listening. Yeah, I've tried to put a little bit more on our Facebook just anything I can think of off the top of my head to keep it going. So if you, if you haven't joined our Facebook page, you can, uh, I guess, join, follow, like, whatever it is that you do, and uh, make sure we're putting some more stuff out there. I should say that I am so bad about not only posting on Facebook, but just documenting progress on things. I'm not a big picture taker, and so... Of all of the motorcycles that I've ever had, I don't even know if I have pictures of all of them. And I just, like, never really document progress that much. And so then I'll have, like, random pictures that you can't really um, tell where they're at in a timeline. And I just never really feel motivated to put them on social media. I should be better about that, but it's a habit I need to get into. I am the opposite. I take way too many pictures and and document way too verbosely to people who don't care. So <laughs> yeah. um, between the two of us, there's a happy medium in there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wait till the last minute before I'm about ready to get rid of something to take all the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I do have a some old business. I have a correction that uh, one of our listeners pointed out to me from last uh episode when we were discussing the new KLR I didn't have my facts straight uh, I was talking about the standard KLR and the KLR Traveler which had all the really cool saddlebags and crash bars and lights on it and everything and quoted a price for it I made a mistake there's actually three different models there's the standard KLR at $66.99. There's ABS for $69.99. Then the Traveler is basically the ABS with a with a really cheap looking tail trunk on it and different color, which is $73.99, which is what I had quoted. The Adventure, which is the one with the saddlebags on it, the off-road lights, the crash guard and everything, and the camo paint is actually $76.99 or $79.99 for ABS. So uh, I misquoted. We were saying, hey, the $73.99, that's a really good price. That's because it wasn't for the model with all the extras on it, as I had described it. So just for uh, posterity's sake, yes, I screwed that up. I did not give the good price. The correct price however i don't think eight grand is a a horrible price for the top of the line version of it so yeah 74 would have been a killer deal 79.99 is still not bad so how much does like a 700 cc adventure bike sell for these days like I don't know, a Tracer or an MT-07 or whatever they call those. 
the 700 Tenere? Yes, 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 yes. How much does one of those cost? $99.99. I just looked it up on their website. So ten thousand, about $2,000 more than a KLR, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, or if, if you look at it but, another way, about 20% more. Yeah. And I suppose that um, Tenure doesn't come with like saddle bags on it, does it? Uh, no, doesn't have, you'd have to add that on also. Doesn't have the armor around the fairing. Doesn't have luggage on it, things like that. So that would all be an extra cost option. So, yeah, I mean, our conclusion that it was like, like, if you're looking for a KLR type of thing, that it's still, you know, a pretty reasonable value, I think. All right. So just for giggles, I did a quick Google and this is going to be British prices, so, you know, and we don't even get some of these. So a Benelli TRK502, um, so a Chinese-Italian bike, uh, or a Chinese bike with an Italian name, 52.99. These are all going to be in pounds. A Honda CB500X, 61.19. A Kawasaki Versus, 75.49. A Suzuki V-Strom, 650.82.99. A Tenere 94.99, so right, you know, close 10 grand. Uh, a BMW 850 GSA is 11.1. Uh, Moto Guzzi V85 TT 11.2. A KTM 890 is 10.999. Uh, Triumph Tiger is 11.4, and a Ducati Multistrada 950S is 13.8. So, just to put it in perspective, so, these are what they call their middleweight adventure models for 2021. So, so it's. Hmm. It's not a killer deal, but our conclusion that it wasn't a bad deal at that price, I think, still stands. Yeah. 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 And, you know, 40 years of history with the 80% of the same bike. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Where'd you go wrong? Uh, another thing is that there have been a couple of new bikes that have come out since we had our ta-da new bike issue. One of them is a bike that I talked about several years ago on this podcast, uh, just as a curiosity. And I was really surprised to find out that CF Moto is bringing four different street bikes in, including the 700 uh, CX, C, T, uh, now I can't remember. uh, CLX. CLX, yes. which I think is a really cool looking motorcycle. It's, it's it's something out of China that isn't really directly derivative of anything. You know, it's not a copy of something. It's kind of its own thing, but it's got a little bit of of dirt track kind of feel to it. It's got a little bit of yeah, it kind uh, of looks like the um, the Husqvarna. In a way, like the Spart Spart Pits. Spart Pillin. I think we yes. struggle on these names every um, time we try to say them. Is the is is the engine not a derivative of the Kawasaki 650 parallel twin? It, is. Okay. it looks like it. Yeah. Uh, that engine is being manufactured by CF Moto in a seven. It's like 689 cc's or something like that, and it's also going to be in the new. Benelli and the new Moto Marini X Cape. It's actually the letter X dash Cape, which I don't think we're going to get here. But, who sells uh, these? Or who will sell these? 
actually they brought in some street bikes in 2013 and 2014. They brought in some 650 twins and they kind of flopped. Yeah, but I mean, like, do they pick a, a dealer network or something? So or they, they, have- they have their own because they do, uh, they bring in ATVs and side by sides. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they've actually turned into a big player in the side by, not so much in the ATV market, but among side by side people, CF Moto is actually a really popular line for dealers, you know, people that don't have a big side by side presence for whatever main line mm-hmm. they're carrying. So, and, and, and compared to that new Polaris that was just shown, or was it a Polaris that was shown off today with like a 250 horsepower four cylinder, you know, at $40,000, these are cheap. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And CF Moto, their off-road products, their ATVs and side-by-sides actually have a pretty good reputation as being comparable to the Japanese for the most part. Um, what other motorcycles did you say they're bringing besides that? They're bringing in the 700 in a heritage and sport. Sport has twin discs, clip-ons, slightly rear-set pegs. Uh, they're going to bring in a 650 not really adventure bike. It's styled like an adventure bike, but it's got street tires and a 17-inch front rim. Kind of a 700 version of that NT1100 we talked about last month. Some 300s, kind of a Duke-style naked, and a 300 SS sport bike that actually has like pretty high-spec upside-down forks, um, radio calipers on it and everything. It evidently is, is going to be a... Oh. Yeah, aren't people using those to race? Like, yeah, that's what the forty-four. That's what the forty-four teeth guys have been racing in. Yeah. in the UK, right? But they've got yeah. that with the six hundred and fifty motor in it. No, mm-hmm. they actually they actually did the six hundred and ninety motor in it uh, about halfway through the season. Right, but they actually took the three hundred, put the six hundred and fifty motor yeah, in it, yeah. and then built it out to a three hundred and ninety. And actually, uh, forty-four teeth has already done a ride review of the CLX 700 and overall very, very complimentary of it. They liked the ergonomics. They liked the style. They said it was really smooth, little bit soft for sport riding, but for just cruising, it was great. And I'm amazed it has cruise control standard, ABS and cruise control standard on it. I think they're looking at a, Trying to bring it in at a sixty nine ninety five price, they haven't set it for sure yet. A lot of that's going to depend on exchange rates and things like that, and it's not going to be here till the middle of next summer. But uh, I, it, I think it's a really neat bike. It kind of has a little bit of Moto Guzzi Grizo look to it with the with the frame tubes running through the middle of the tank and things like that. It looks like a lot of fun. Some of the things that 44 Teeth said about it that they were being critical of, I'm like, no, that's kind of what I would want. A smooth bike for cruising down the interstate with the cruise control on, but it's still not huge and uh, naked. Looks like a lot of fun to me. Uh, Another bike that just got introduced like yesterday or announced yesterday there's a new redesigned XSR 900 from Yamaha, which is absolutely 
visually at least so much better than the old one. I think can I get that can I get that in the Galois colors, please? <laughs> Seriously. I saw that and I'm like, gotta have it. Yeah. I was never a big fan of either the MT or the XSR. I'd be all over this one. It's just I think it's they really made it look good. The XSR looked atrocious. <laughs> it was it was offensive. It was so bad. It was a bad, really they, they tried to do like a dirt track slash tractor yeah. bike, and it just didn't <laughs> didn't work out. Where this looks more like '80s retro. My really good friend, he really wanted an XSR 900, <laughs> and I would I was relentless in teasing him for it, um, which I feel bad about. Sorry, Dylan, because I just I could not let him be seen on something that ugly it was oh those things were just awful <laughs> but the new one much improved i'm still not a fan like the old one old one was worse but the headlight uh brackets just look like something that you would buy on ebay <laughs> and i am almost certain you could buy these same like stamped chrome <laughs> ugly pieces off of ebay I this picture it's hard to tell. These look probably like they're more aluminum cast of some variety, but they still just those brackets don't do it for me. I do like the kind of seat tail section, I think looks really good. And without the huge fender, which of course I'm sure is required for its sale, um, with like a fender eliminator type thing, it could clean it up and make it look really good. The exhaust is still a bit weird it goes into a collector box and then just has openings that point down at the back of it mm. euro five let's just blame it on that and there's yeah. stuff like 18 catalyst converters and everything mm. else particulate filters and everything else that's in there so overall it went from a oh hell no never <laughs> to a I could i could do okay. that not not yeah. that i will but it, it's very cool yeah i'd have no problem with that bike Although the way that this one is styled, it almost seems like it's too close to, what is it now, the MT-09? You mm-hmm. know, like, it's retro, and obviously it looks more retro, but it's like... Not differentiated yeah. enough? Yeah, yeah. Ducati's come out with more bikes that aren't new bikes. They came out with a couple of new versions of Scramblers, which are basically paint jobs. I can't think of what else they've come out with, but all of their big, ooh, we're doing a reveal every week. Most of them have been kind of not terribly exciting. Eric, there was something you mentioned. Oh, the Norden Norden 901? Yeah, the Norden 901 has officially been released. And it, I, I kind of like that it kind of really does mix modern ADV look with a little bit of a retro Dakar look. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. The styling is good. Um, I read one review on motorcycle online or motorcycle which which place that i read that on this morning uh, motorcycle.com yeah motorcycle.com so they they had a review on it and the one thing they did mention though is that it's a couple bucks more than the ktm variant but the suspension may not be the same as good a quality so hmm. you know that of course that's arguing on how hard off-road are you actually going to ride this thing and will that actually matter uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was a, a pretty decent looking motorcycle and you know, that's the nice thing about that is 
if you buy one, the odds of you seeing another one go by <laughs> mm-hmm. are pretty low, which is always a good thing in my book. That's worth something, especially when you're on an adventure bike. Just yeah. to not be on another orange yes. machine is, you know, I think an advantage. Yeah, and 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 like Pete said, that it really does have that late '80s Dakar look to it, with the mm-hmm. the, ga- the gas tank line and kind of how it. Um, it doesn't quite parallel the frame lines, but it's got, you know, just, it's got that big V to it. Right. I like it. Agreed. Okay. Garrett, you mentioned your CT70. You've been teasing us with pictures in our little, uh, behind the scenes Slack chat that we have between the three of mm-hmm. us the last couple days. Has it started yet? Yeah. So I took it for its first ride. Awesome. Actually, just before getting on this call, I, Went up and down the street and just went through the four gears, which it has four of. And actually, like, it was a very surprisingly successful test ride. Um, Just some background on it. I Basically, I powder coated the frame and forks and all the metal parts quite some time ago. And then ended up moving and it was sort of just up on the shelf. But I decided that it, it had to get finished. So I started really meaningfully working on it, I think, in August or September. And here we are now. It's um just about done. I've been putting quite a lot of hours into it. And this one, I'm getting really detailed with this one. Like, I'll probably share some up-close pictures. Like, every little part on it, you know, I had all the factory hardware re-zinc plated so it's all just nice and beautiful but when you're trying to figure out where it all goes (laughs) it just takes forever to put the whole thing together um i ran into some electrical problems it was my goal to have this thing running and writing for this podcast i just wanted to be able to share because i think on the (laughs) last one i was like you know maybe it'll be running by the time the next one so i wanted it at least that point and last night and the night before I was working on it and I, d- I ran into all sorts of electrical issues. Um, keep in mind, this is like a Chinese clone 70 engine because I didn't have an engine with this. I basically bought it complete without an engine. Right. But I wanted it to look like an authentic engine. So I kind of went out of my way to find one. I wanted a an automatic so it didn't have a clutch cable going to it. And I wanted a 70 cc because the, the bigger displacements, the cylinder head and, and the cylinder itself are dimensionally bigger and they just don't look right. So I got this one. It's a 12 volt motor, which all the clones are, which means that it has a CDI ignition instead of points. And more or less, you can plug these things in and and they work. And I tried that with this and, and I didn't have spark. And I fiddled with it, looked over all of my connections and ended up just having to like go all the way back to the basics and looking to see like, OK, this wire goes here. That's right. It goes here. That's right. And finally, I figured out from the factory, the way that they pinned the CDI for the electrical connection was wrong. Ah, so some some goober just, you know, put the wire into the wrong pin. There's like six available pins and there's five wires. And so there is a missing space. Well, the one wire was in this space where there should have been nothing. 
so it took, you know, a lot of troubleshooting to figure this out. So I repinned the electrical connection to the CDI and it fired right up, idled perfectly. I mean, it was like, like it came off a Honda's assembly line. It was actually really amazing. And then I went to shut it off with a key and it wouldn't shut off. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, so, you know, I just was uplifted by it running and then it wouldn't shut off. And I was like, now what do I do? And it took me quite a while to get it successfully integrated into the original wiring harness. There is this really nice wiring diagram online that I was using, which I figured out is not wrong. It's just not right either (laughs) (laughs) and so the way that i had it set up with this particular wiring diagram didn't work and i had to just spend a lot of time looking at the factory wiring diagram and troubleshooting to get it so that the factory key switch would do what i wanted it to do you know on, on these older ones there's an off there's an ignition on where it'll run but there's no lights and then all the way is the ignition, including the lights, which is different on trail 70s from like 71 and later. They actually have like a kill switch on the handlebar. So it's a little bit different. So it took, you know, a fair amount of time to get all the electrical issues solved, which I did. I wanted to retain the six volt battery, at least dimensionally. So I bought a six volt battery I'm opening it up and I'm going to put a 12 volt like RC battery inside of it and then glue it back together. So, and, you know, utilize the connections uh, going to the battery top. So it'll look just like an original six volt battery, but it'll have 12 volt guts inside it. So I'm working on that right now, although it doesn't actually need a battery to run or do anything, but it'll be helpful with the lights, I suppose. I have foot pegs, which I just need to powder coat the foot pegs. And there's one part that I still need to source, which has been a little bit difficult, is the engine guard, the cradle kind of part that goes underneath the engine. And it's got the two bars that go up to um, like the chassis, the frame part. Um, There's a company, CHP Motorsports. They make a reproduction, but they've been sold out and they're Chinese made and They're probably floating over and next to some harbor like every other delivery ship. So I need to find one of those. And I've been sort of unsuccessful yet. Luckily, I don't need it to ride it. I'm just going to put the foot pegs on the bottom. And then whenever I find an engine cradle, I'll put it on. But otherwise, it's done. I restored the original speedometer. That's a nightmare. (laughs) It's, you know, got the like clamped, pressed on kind of chrome trim so there is the bucket which is just this you know steel stamp bucket and then the stainless steel chrome trim goes over the bucket and it it clamp it like they smush the metal around so it all holds it together so you have to you know as carefully as you can bend the stainless back up so it's not holding on to the bucket behind it's kind of difficult to describe, but you have to sort of bend the stainless trim off of it so you can open the speedometer up to get to the internals. Luckily, I was able to do that. There's a person that makes new face overlays, so I put new overlays in it, repainted the speedometer needle white, um, cleaned the glass all up, 
and then uh, polished that bezel and put it all back together. So the speedometer looks incredible. There's a little high-low beam indicator light that was originally red, but it was so faded it was like mostly clear. So I got some of the uh, it's like translucent red spray paint for doing tail lights for cars, and just masked off that little plastic lens and sprayed some translucent clear spray paint over it, and it turned out really good. It looks like a brand new speedometer. So overall, the whole 70 is like. I mean, it's pretty nice. It turned out. So what you're saying is your son will never swing a leg over it? Actually, so the <clears> very <throat> first ride I went on, uh, I had my son on the seat in front of me. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so he rode on it with me. <laughs> um, yeah, I have two. If you look closely at the picture, I have two gigantic, huge, ugly fuel filters sitting over the top of the engine. And it's because the gas tank that I got it's like a new reproduction but I was looking inside it and there seemed like there is a lot of like metal manufacturing debris in it so I put some gas in it and put fuel filters in line um so I can just like get all the gunk out of it and then I'll probably just take those filters off uh, you know once it's kind of cleaned out it did. Uh, it felt remarkably similar to when I, I'm sure you guys have probably told you I had like this exact Trail 70 growing up. Not this one. This is a different one. But it was a 1970 Candy Sapphire Blue Trail 70. And I rode it every single day from like middle school through high school until I got my license. It was like when my parents weren't home, it was my primary means of transportation. Um, and so I rode this, I haven't ridden, uh, you know, like an all original trail 70 for quite a long time and riding this one, gosh, it felt just the same. It was pretty cool. Neat experience. When you were talking about the speedometer, I thought, didn't we cover this last episode? Cause it, it sounded really familiar. There's a guy who goes by fast idle on the ADV rider web forum. Uh-huh. He's doing a first-year Suzuki 500 Cobra restoration, uh -huh. and he had been doing exactly the same thing and saying the ex just what you said. You need to very carefully bend back the the stamped bezel. Yeah, and, and I have found the best tool is a paint can opener for that, by the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah that would make sense. So he did the same thing. He took it all apart. Uh, he did not redo the face, but he cleaned it up. Mm -hmm. And all of his, the little jeweled, he had three of them, red, green, and yellow mm -hmm. in in the three little indicator lights. Yeah. Anyways, they were all really faded and people were making lots of suggestions, uh, you know, boil it and rit dye and that'll bring mm -hmm. the color back. What you said, translucent paint. In the end, he did a uh, Sharpie. He oh, did yeah. different colored Sharpies and just colored the top of it. Yeah. He had posted the pictures and you would not know. That's a good idea. Especially the red went from barely pink to looking exactly factory. And he's like, yeah, it's it's going to last as long as anything else you're going to do to old plastic like that. So, right. 
it was made in um, March of 1970. So it's not one of the really early ones. But um, I think very soon after this one was made, this particular speedometer on this motorcycle, this one has a high beam indicator light, but it has no neutral indicator. Although the provisions are all in the speedometer. So there's a tube and a socket where you would plug in a bulb, but on the face, there's no hole. And it's kind of cool when you like work on these old motorcycles and you kind of see like what things were, how they progressed. And like, you kind of see those mid year changes where they start to add provisions and things, but don't fully utilize them mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, had kind of toyed around cause I like having a neutral indicator and I thought about, you know, making this speedometer into one with a neutral indicator, but I just wanted to keep it the way that it was. In fact, um, sometimes people reset the mileage to zero when they do a restoration like this. Mm-hmm. And I just left it with the original mileage because it really makes no difference. I don't think it has any effect on value whatsoever, whether the odometer on something like this says 9,000 or zero when someone knows it's not zero. Right. So would this bring 10 grand on bring a trailer right now? I think it would. It's like the dumbest thing to say. I think it would. So I've gone back and I looked at the pictures. So there's one trail 70 on bring a trailer that sold not long ago for like 8350. And I was looking at the pictures and it's nice, but it's not that nice. When you look, it looks like a lot of the original hardware, they just reused um, some of like the brake arms and nuts and stuff it's when you look at the detailed pictures it's like not that nice it's kind of stained and stuff looking at the detailed pictures of mine it's exceptional i mean it is an exceptionally nice ct70 it doesn't have the original engine but the last one that sold didn't have the original engine either right now for 8350 so i don't know when i saw the picture you sent us I wanted to say, wow, that is really impressive looking. But then I thought, no, it looks like a brand new Trail 70. I mean, (laughs) it just looks like a brand new Trail 70. And that's what's so cool about it is like I had all the factory hardware replated. The original hardware has a a stamping on the top of it that's different than like the later CT70s. So when you have like K0 hardware, you know that you have K0 hardware. And so this one still has all that original K0 hardware that's like, it doesn't look like it was just cleaned well. I mean, it is brand new. And it, when I took it for its little test ride today, it felt that way. It's like the one that I had, the suspension was completely blown out from jumping it. And the seat was completely <laughs> blown out from me putting like, I probably put like 10,000 miles on this trail. And I mean, like, imagine a middle schooler loose with a trail 70. <laughs> These are the miles I put... And when I rode this one around, I was like, goodness, it feels brand new. Like the suspension is actually soft and it works. It, yeah, it's, it's it's a nice bike. I think it would probably sell for 10 grand, which is ridiculous. Yeah, you probably got about 10 grand worth of labor into it. But hey, yeah, you know. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm probably like a uh, dollar cost wise somewhere under 2000 into it. I'm not like somewhere in between one and two thousand bucks, I think. And then probably about a million dollars in labor. Yeah, I was going to say skilled labor because you know what you're doing, unlike a lot of people that are trying stuff like that nowadays. So, yeah. Oh, and I do want to add, too, that 
I got off of Amazon, one of those cheap, and I'll bet you, Pete, you probably have one of these already. Um, one of the wire crimpers and like a wire crimper kit on these old Honda motorcycles, they usually use like clear weather booties mm-hmm. and there's like a male bullet and a female bullet right. and the clear booties. I got a kit of all of those like little terminal connectors with right. little booties on them. Yep. And I got the crimper, which like is the ratcheting kind. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because you can put the terminal in it and you can kind of put it on one click and it just holds it. And then you're not having to deal with your little terminal with your fingers, like trying to like hold it and crimp it. It just stays in the crimper. You can put your wire into it, crimp it perfectly. It's kind of a two-step thing. Like you give it the one crimp and then you move it to the next notch over and it sort of flattens it all. Then you like slide your little clear weather booty over the top of it. And it's just like factory. And so in putting this clone engine, like integrating it into the original wiring harness, I use all of those same little connectors and it looks like a factory installs. Very cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah. But the, it's just like a little $15 terminal crimper. Life changing. <laughs> Especially there is a send point. Me, send me the link for that because all I have is the plier yeah. type. I'll put it on our Facebook page. This was life changing. So in wiring the thing, I had gotten to the point where the engine was in, the gas tank was in. And, and these gas tanks, when they go in, they don't come out. Like you wedge it up into the frame and it has these like rubber insulators and it's a very tight fit. Like it took a lot of massaging to get the gas tank in place. Well, there is a connection that I had to get to that I didn't realize after the engine was in the bottom, the gas tank was in the top and it was like down in the frame. And luckily with the the crimper, I was able to put that terminal in it and like, you know, it's ratcheting, so you you squeeze it, and it holds that terminal into the crimper itself. And then you can kind of stuff it down in a hole. And I was able to just use pliers to get the wire fed into the crimper, and then was able to crimp it. I would have never been able to do that without this tool. Very cool. Um, so definitely it was worth its 15 bucks. And I'll put the link in our Facebook page and send it to you guys. Yeah, I definitely, definitely want one for that price. So, yeah. And I think the kit of 250 terminals, you know, was like 15 or 20 bucks or something. I bought one of those when I did the CL125. Yeah. The company I work for is big into heavy duty trucking stuff and they all use 180 bullets. Yeah. And they're not the same size and profile as the old Japanese motorcycle bullet. Yeah, right, 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 right. And, and you can put them together and they kind of go together, but they wiggle. But it's not right. Yeah. yeah it's like, no, no, no. I, 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 And they don't have the nice little clear plastic weather covers right. on them. So it's yeah. the difference between a Japanese Phillips screwdriver and an American Phillips screwdriver. Yes. The, the JIS and Phillips difference. So, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I too have been trying to make some progress and not getting a whole lot. As I said last time, I was I've been working on three things that I've done to my bike. First of all, working on the intake and the exhaust. The exhaust is pretty much there. I originally tried to bend one. I actually got a conduit bender mm-hmm. for one inch conduit. And the thing is like huge. It's like eight inches wide and it does a bend with 
easily like a six or seven inch radius. So it was like, once I bent it, it was like, no, this is going to be in the middle of my leg. This is just not going to work. So I bought a exhaust for like a mini bike or a go-kart and then did a slight bend to another piece of pipe. And I need to have them welded together. And the muffler that I'm using on this is actually a Richter muffler that I bought in 1985 for my hmm. old Bull Taco Road Racer. Why I've held on to it this long, I have no <laughs> idea why. It was just in a box and it was too good to throw away and I never got around to doing anything else with it or giving it to anybody or selling it. So I've actually had this since 1985. It's the oldest part I have that's going on here. So I ordered a heat shield, just a generic perforated heat shield to go on it. And it really didn't fit. So I ordered another one that's got kind of a curve on the front. It's actually designed for Harleys for that rear pipe on staggered duels. And I'm hoping that one will work. That'll be here in a little while. I have the intake side all arranged and I was really dragging my heels because I need to take it to the welder, but I wanted to tack weld it. So this morning I pulled out my little titanium 125 and I lined everything up and used some magnets to hold it in place. And I put a little tack weld on it. And I noticed that on the other side, there was just just a tiny little sliver of light you could see there. I hadn't fully gotten it flush. So I kind of could just bend it, you know, put some pressure on it, get them to meet up. And I thought, oh, I'll just tack it on the other side. And bam, blew right through the little 16-gauge <laughs> pipe. And I was like, ah. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's shot now. I'm wondering how well I could weld this up, see if I could cover the hole. And I kind of, and I did, I put the wire feed up and the voltage down and I was actually able to build it up over that little hole and went around and it looked pretty crappy, <laughs> but I got it pretty much there. And then I put some soap on it and I put a rubber cork in the other end and I blew bubbles everywhere that I was just <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> so I have my third uh, one and a quarter inch U-bend piece. And what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to take the the little flange piece, just chop off the pipe, put it in a lathe, just take it down to where it's a, a nice smooth surface again. So I'll be able to reuse that, cut another one, and I may just make little index marks and say, they go together kind of like this. Because now that I have one that actually is together, I verified exactly where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. It was a disaster, but it was a learning opportunity. So, And I got yeah. a little bit of welding practice in. What I've discovered, though, is if I'm going to continue to weld in my basement, I need to get some kind of fume hood extraction yeah. something. Yeah, I need to start thinking about that because um, in my garage, I was going to bring my welders over so I could do some fabrication. Because like you, I have living space above you know, my garage and also... You know, I don't really need to be just basking in toxic fumes, yeah. I guess, if I don't need to be. And so I, I've been thinking about how to build a, an exhaust ventilation setup for my garage. Uh, the other thing I've been working on is brakes. Uh, my front brake, I've got a bracket somewhat made because it's really weird. The Is it a drum? Disc. It's an inboard. It's that weird inboard disc from the 250 interceptor, the 250 okay. VTR. It did not have a brake stay on it, so there's not a post to bolt to. 
it simply had a cast in lug, like a blade on the inside of the original fork tube. And there's a slot that it would engage in to keep it Mm -hmm. from turning. So the torque link is just this little slot. So I'm in the process of working out something that will work for that. Last time I said I ordered some steel braided brake hoses from China and I expected them to take a month to get here. They were here in a week. Nice. The front and rear brakes are actually left and right. So I've got one like 96 inch brake cable that goes from the left side all the way down along the frame, along the swing arm to the rear brake. Mm -hmm. I hooked up the throttle to the carburetor and it works exactly the way it's supposed to and everything. So I got a throttle cable and a throttle and the mirrors, the switches. Hey, uh, your handlebar setup looks nice. Yeah. I'm not going with all cheapo used rusty parts this time. I'm actually buying new components and I had a real hard time finding matching right and left uh, master cylinders that had the right diameter for a single disc. Mm-hmm. I found some and they weren't Super cheap, but they weren't real expensive either. And they're very attractive. They got nice little reservoirs on them rather than the the separate reservoir that sits on a little cobby-looking bracket. So mm-hmm. that's all good. And what's really weird about this is I don't think I had a concept of exactly how like little industrial motors work for their ignition. The coil is the whole ignition system. You've got a magnet on the flywheel Mm-hmm. And you've actually got your signal coil and your voltage coil all in there with a little transistor that manages it all. So you have a spinning flywheel, the little coil that sits next to it, and a high voltage lead that goes to your spark plug and a kill switch. Mm-hmm. Just two leads that short it out. That's the whole ignition system. <laughs> so I could actually run my lights and starter separate. My ignition system... And my charging battery, lights, everything are going to be totally separate from each other. Yeah. Which is a little mind-boggling. So, yeah, it's going well compared with my other projects. Nowhere near the setbacks that I've had. I'm continuing to stay motivated and stay excited about it. Yeah, it looks like a cool project. I'm excited to see your progress. Hey, I just was thinking about this. Maybe you know. Will an LED bulb run off of AC power? Like a 12-volt? Nope. It has to be DC power. It has to be DC. But you just get a little rectifier, you know. Yeah, well, so on my CT70, the originally the headlights were run straight from the AC stator. Right. And the taillights and everything were run off of the battery. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like two separate systems. That's why you reminded me of this. So I have it set up just like the original. So AC power is going to the headlight. But I was going to put an LED bulb and for the headlight, but I think I'll probably just leave it a halogen. Well, I will tell you, that was part of why I completely rewired my CL125, is had that same setup. Yeah. It was really weird in that it had two coils. Mm-hmm. One went to the battery and ran all the extra lights and everything, and the other one was just for the high beam. Yeah. So when you flip the high beam... That's kind of how the CT70 is. Yeah. It ran off one coil when you're on low beam and then used both of the coils when you're on high beam. It's like a performance, uh, you know, 
don't don't make all that drag when you don't need to. <laughs> well, that's because it was totally unregulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no voltage regulating. Right. So it was nominally six volt, but it was kind of like yeah, whatever the engine's making right yeah. now. That's how much yeah. po- we're putting through the headlight. So yeah. a little faster, well, the headlights get brighter. Yep. Yeah, that's that's you know pretty much how the Trail Seventy was. Yeah. So I um, went ahead and got a regulator rectifier, mm-hmm. ran everything through that. And then just did all LED lights with an LED savvy flasher and everything. So I completely yeah. redid everything with 12 volt electrics. Yeah. Because you cannot find a decent six volt LED headlight. That's the other part of it. Yeah. My experience and talking to the engineers at work, you got to get at least close to eight volts for most white LEDs to, to glow. Yeah. Resistance issues with six volt makes it really hard to do. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, last episode, I told you guys that there was a Boltaco streaker for sale that was on my bucket list. I've always wanted, and I kind of went, it's not anymore. Since last episode, I was talking with a guy that I knew, I don't know him. I mean, he's an online correspondent that I've talked to for years that has a couple of Moto Marinis. And he says, weren't you in the Moto Marini Riders Club? And I was like, yeah, I was. I let it lapse because I've kind of resigned myself that I'm never going to have one. Parts are getting more expensive. They run really great when you know what you're doing with them. There's no Motor Marini shop to take it to in town if it doesn't run and you can't figure out what the problem is on it. Okay, that one's off my bucket list. Another bike is the uh, KZ1300, the original standard version Rode one once, one of the high point memories of my riding career, always wanted one. And I was talking with a guy here locally that has one. And he said that he is giving up on the the three dual throat carburetors because you can't get parts for them anymore. And he's going to adapt a Voyager 13 uh, fuel injection system to it. And I was like, you know, I need to scratch that bike and I was talking to my wife and she's like what is it that you really still want to do not just owning bikes but in your riding career you're probably closer to the end than the beginning what is it that you really still want to do and I thought that was a really interesting question so I'm going to pose that to you guys for next time because we've talked a lot about what we've done in the past we've talked about some things that probably aren't going to happen what do you want to do and what's a definite bucket list item and what's a maybe, maybe not. And what things maybe aren't on it anymore. So Mm -hmm. you got a whole month to ruminate on that question and we'll, that'll be our topic for next time. Question. I already got my answers. Okay. (laughs) Well, (laughs) but we'll save those for next month. Okay. Like us on Facebook, go to Apple, Go to Amazon, give us a review, give us a rating, subscribe. That all helps us. By the way, we were like, I don't know, something weird like Brazil or South Africa or something. We were like ranked fourth in automotive podcasts. <laughs> I was nice. like, wow. It's pretty random. Okay. I don't, that's probably all of 13 people 
yeah. in that market that are listening. But okay, great. So all right. So if it's in South Africa, could we get a Biltong sponsor? And if it's in Brazil, could we get a Cachaça sponsor? I'm just, yeah, you know, come on. Not to be specific, but you yes, know. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna have to brush up on my Portuguese. Okay, so but there's but there's Brazilian Portuguese and then there's Portuguese Portuguese. Yes, yes. Just like there's French and. Quebec, yeah, yes. Quebecois, yes. which is very, very different. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, well, go to Hooniverse, go to Facebook, leave us a note or a message if you have any questions or anything you want to talk about. We always like hearing from people who listen to us. And with that, we'll sign off for now, and uh, I'll see you guys next month. So long.